On this episode of Deal and Extend, we discuss Pine64 and all their super awesome products. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 70 of Deal and Extend. Deal and Extend is a community-powered podcast. We take conversations from around the network, places like the Deal and Discourse Forums, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We also snag topics from across the network and give you our takes. With me today are my two super awesome co-hosts. Yes, we have both of them back. Nate, the one who is jumping down the wormhole of audio, and Matt, who loves to deep dive into drama. How are you guys? (laughs) That's so appropriate for Matt. Hey, now. (laughs) (laughs) I got nothing to retort. I don't know what to give on that one. Like you said, nothing. I have done my job. I have silenced Matt. This is a rare instance. (laughs) Wendy, I'll just make sure to give you all the game recommendations then. You would anyway. Exactly. But now you're just going to get a flood of them. (laughs) Well, actually, I have some money on my Steam account because I got a few games for my husband that he didn't like and returned them. So I've got like 12 bucks just sitting there waiting to buy a game with. Oh, I'm sure Matt can enable you on something. It's going to happen. I have no doubt. (laughs) I will totally make sure you spend that money and more then. Is that better, Nate? There you go. I finally admitted that I'm the gaming enabler. Is that better? Yes, it is. I'm sure you have this black book next to your computer, like game recommendations. You whip out a pencil, you kind of tap it against your tongue a little bit. Yes, yeah, what I got, I got, what I got here for Wendy, what I got for Wendy here, uh, (laughs) <laughs> actually you run through the pages with the butt of the eraser i literally have a tab open right now this is game recommendations list oh my gosh but it's actually a list for all the games that i've made on the show so therefore i don't duplicate them that's good you're partially right in that nate that i do have a games recommendations list just not the way you think i like my idea better you put on the visor that's tinted that green one yes the green one yeah like a bookie <laughs> that's matt that'll forever be my image of it's matt just fingers flying fast on those old calculating machines Right, but it's all for gaming enablement. That'd be too complicated. I'm more of an abacus guy. <laughs> oh, okay, keep it simple. Just keep it simple. Well, those are also very cool. Well, we missed you last week, so what have you been up to, Matt? The laptop I had bought had only a single channel RAM, so I recently bought some memory to upgrade that from 8 gigs, which were two 4 gig sticks, to 16 gigs because um, RAM in games, need I say more. Right. Totally understandable, especially for multitasking games. Yeah, I'm not really multitasking (laughs) games. It's just a lot of these games eat up a lot of memory now. One thing I have learned, because I have HP Omen, which is one machine, and I have the Asus Tough Slim 50, whatever, an Asus machine. The HP is actually way easier to get into, which is weird, because Asus has always been about like, oh, do whatever you want to the machine kind of deal for gamers and all that stuff. Why is it you have 18 different screws on the bottom of your machine in order to actually open it? HP, six. Security. Security. That's what the tabs are for. <laughs> oh, okay. If you lose one screw, you're not going to lose the back of your laptop. Right. It makes total sense. Again, that's what the tabs are for that hold the base unit there. But anyway, once opening that, 
That was a fun project because not only does Asus decide to put that many screws into the bottom of a gaming laptop, they are all varying sizes. Oh, great. Are you kidding me? They had varied sizes? Yep. Okay, that's just poor planning on whoever's engineering it. The goal is always to minimize your SKUs, the number of items you have in an item, machine, device, appliance, whatever. That's just bonkers. Tell that when you're trying to put the silly thing back together. Great times. (laughs) The way I like to do that when I've taken a laptop apart or anything, I will go clockwise around the back of it and I've got a piece of tape down on my desk or whatever surface I'm working from. And then I'll stick the screws head down onto the tape. So I've got a line Mm -hmm. of screws and in the order that I took them out. And I can retrace that either from the front or backwards when putting them back in. The way they had this set up, I think it was three different sizes in screws, which is annoying in and of itself. So you go around the outside, they're all one size. You go into the inner portion that they have, different size. Then there's like two or three on the very center that you pull off and those are different sizes. And you're like, this is just really, really annoying. Oh, yeah. Going around the perimeter and stuff like you normally would. It works perfectly fine. It's just you have to work in reverse. And when you're not expecting it, you're like, oh, crap. I just threw all these together. Shoot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That was a lesson learned, I guess, because right now I'm like, man, people complain about like HP and Dells and all these other systems that are supposedly a pain to get into. Why is it one that sells motherboards and other things that you're supposed to be using to upgrade on desktops seems to not understand gamer upgrade? Yeah, I don't get that at all. No clue. Not to wave the HP flag again, but it has like three or four captive screws on the bottom, so you can't even lose the screws. You can totally unscrew it. You're not going to lose any. It's got the little clip on one side, so you have to just tilt it up, and then it comes right out. Super easy, barely an inconvenience to work on a computer. I think HP's done it right. I think they're probably the easiest so far, at least for those kind of upgrades. That have, Well, no, Dell's really good too for basic upgrades. Ryan is a huge fan of HP because they have one of the cleanest supply chains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no child labor and all that stuff. Because of what you know, Ryan brought to my attention too, I'm also very pro-HP now. I look specifically for HP hardware because of their ethical manufacturing techniques. To Nate's point though, I definitely agree that I think HP is probably where I'm going to go next time. They just didn't have anything in my price range. So that was really what that boiled down to more out of necessity than want kind of deal. It's one of those things for me. I'm just like, eh, lessons learned. So I locked into particular choices in my hardware, but Wendy sounds like you have certain things that have been locked and merged. Yes, in software. I spend all of my time, it seems like, anymore on this show talking about tenacity. There was an update last week where there was some commits for the sync lock portion of it. Those commits have now been approved and they've been merged into mainline tenacity. So hopefully here pretty soon on one of the latest releases, you will be able to turn off sync lock just by holding alt. You'll see changes in the theme as that is different. You let go of alt and sync lock is back on. No more messing with, oh crap, I forgot to turn on sync lock and now I've got to figure out where everything goes back together. I'm so excited that not only was the suggestion that I put in welcomed, there were people in the project 
that got to work on it. They saw the value in the suggestion that I'd made. And now not only have those commits been in, they've been approved and merged into mainline tenacity. Well, that's that very really cool. cool. Yeah. When do they, any uh, timetable on when they'll actually be available, like when they actually be pushed out so we can all enjoy it? No, Wendy should probably pull that in. Well, I have been checking to see if there's been an update from Yeah, and I haven't had one for the last little bit. So I might go ahead and just pull in the update directly from GitHub to play with it because I really, really want to play with this new feature. Yeah, that's super cool. It's always a great feeling when you make those suggestions for a change that they actually get merged into the end product. That is really a interesting feeling because you're like, wow, I actually contributed <laughs> in a way. I yeah. made a difference in a way. Yeah, just by simple suggestion, which is the nice part. I've had some positive stuff going on with software. It seems like you're on the negative side or having some issues with things in software, Nate. Room for improvements. So I've been testing Wayland. I did like a week with Wayland on OpenSUSE Tumbleweed with Plasma. Initially, it was very positive for me. And then as I used it, I noticed I had some issues with it. I decided to make a list of issues and I'm going to try and see if I can maybe help with the project in some way. It's basically down to four issues that I have with Wayland to make it my regular go with it. So one is the window focus, you know, Yaquake. I love it, the drop-down terminal. It's one of my favorite features that I use in Plasma. I use it all the time. Quick keystroke, it drops down, I type in whatever I need, and then you know, and then it goes away. That's awesome. But in Wayland, no matter what, it doesn't stay persistent on top like it does with X11. So if I go to click on something else, not only does it not go away, even if I say to go away when I click off of it, I then have to hit the hotkey twice just to bring it back. It's an annoying thing. It's not like a total deal breaker there. And if that was the only one issue, it'd probably be fine. But the next big issue is Synergy or QSynergy or or I think Barrier, Barian. There's a few others that use the same core libraries. It's a virtual KVM. It doesn't work with Wayland at all. So if I go to the other screen, it registers I went to the other screen, but I can't do anything on that screen. So it basically makes the uh, KVM useless. That combined with the Yaquake really hurts. Now, lesser issues, but still significant enough. If let's say, you know, when you send me a link in Element or Shilda Chat or Matrix, whatever you want to call it. I use the uh, Shildy Chatter, however you say it. When I click on the link for like our show notes, it won't actually pop up that the browser and, and load it or even notify me that it's loading in the taskbar. That's a user experience regression. That's not fun either because then I have to like hunt around like which one of my windows of Firefox actually open it up. The icing on the cake was the OBS Studio lacks specific features. So if I were to do live streaming or whatever, I can't crop the windows I bring in. If I want to get rid of certain parts, you know, kind of focus on a certain area, I can't do that. Pipewire does work in piping it in, which is very cool, but there's no features beyond that. So I can pipe something in. If I didn't have to crop it, it would be fine. But because I cropping is something I do pretty regularly, it does become an issue. So those are essentially my issues with Wayland. It's really only four items, uh, but they're kind of some big items. I don't know how long it's going to take for OBS Studio to be able to have those additional features. It's on the roadmap for Synergy to have that fixed so you can use Wayland with it, but there's no timetable on it. And as far as like the window focus and taskbar notifications, I'm sure that's going to probably come very soon in Plasma. That seems to be very quickly moving and getting better. Now for some positives, I can't say it's all negative because it's super smooth. I can't really put my finger on it, but there's something like incredibly buttery smooth about Wayland. Like it just looks so good. So I logged in and out a few times just to make sure I wasn't going crazy. Maybe I am going crazy, but that's uh, irrespective of my Wayland experience. Not that there was tearing, but there's just something smoother about it. It just has a better appearance. It does appear to be more responsive, especially with my poor desktop management discipline, you could say. I tend to leave a lot of things open because I can. I do notice that there's like less lag when you have lots of windows open. It does seem to be managing things better in that regard. 
it seemingly uses fewer resources, which just kind of ties into the previous. I was, you could say like a four day vacation from normal life last week. And I was using Wayland the whole time, which is where I kind of discovered the Aquake thing. The battery life of my laptop did seem to be a lot better. Maybe by only like 10%, we could say 5-10% when you're used to getting six hours and you get an extra 30 minutes or so. That can make a big difference if you're working on a project and you can't connect to power. Right. That is pretty huge. And that does corroborate with some of the other articles I've read about as less overhead as far as how it functions. So there are some pretty great positives there as in what's coming or how Wayland is progressing. If I were on a machine where I didn't use Synergy, I didn't really care about the taskbar notifications and I wasn't using Outquake, which my kitchen machine, I don't need any of those things. I can run Wayland on that full time. It would never matter. I don't run OBS Studio on it because why would I? There are some use cases now where I absolutely would use Wayland over X11. Now, as far as like my EliteBook laptop, I'm not going to be using OBS Studio on that really anymore unless I'm setting up things. I don't have to be in Wayland really for the most part. The window focus with Yaquake does make it kind of painful to use because I do use Yaquake a lot. It's just one of those applications I just really enjoy using. That's a regular in my crock pot of OpenSUSE recipe. I don't like the experience of not having that working properly. So I'm going to probably file a bug report on that, see if I can get anywhere. I'll start it within the OpenSUSE of Bugzilla. There's some other bug reports that I filed. So, um, you know, it's a little more <laughs> on the list. That one thing being fixed would actually make my laptop experience way better. Only when I'm sitting at my desk would I like to have Synergy working. And maybe I'll put in a request for that in Synergy as well. Since I do pay for that one. I actually contributed to that project, financially contributed for license key to support it. So I'm going to write an article on cubiclenate.com about this. Not a real deep into the technical workings of what the issues are, but just these are the positives. These are some of the shortcomings. This would be the use cases for me of how I would use Wayland today in 2021. That's a very short life article I'll be putting on there. But yeah, I will sum it all up in a nice little package that hopefully sometime this week. Nice. So you have two articles that are in the works then. Oh, actually I have 36. Holy cow. <laughs> well, the thing is like I have an idea and I start it and then I lose interest in it. I have like this, I don't know if I think ADD is the issue because I've never been diagnosed with ADD, but I kind of jump from interest to interest to interest. So then there'll come a time when like they're all at like 90% and then I'll just kind of finish them off and I'll just spit a bunch of them out. All at once. Yeah. So I try and space them at least a day or two apart. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service. With MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. Simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean and let them handle the provisioning, managing, scaling, updates, backups, and security for your clusters. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc. And together, they have ensured that you will get access to all the latest releases of MongoDB document database as they become available. As a listener of DLN Extend podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN dash Mongo. Again, go to do.co slash DLN dash M-O-N-G-O and get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new Manage MongoDB. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. 
We've spent a whole lot of time talking about software this morning. Let's really dive into some neat hardware, and that's the stuff from Pine64. We've heard a lot about the Pine tab, the Pine phone, and now the emerging Pine time, but they have a lot more stuff going on inside their line of hardware elements that they have available. And there's all kinds of different, even speaking of software, software that you can put on many of these devices. I know you've messed with the Pine phone a ton, Matt, and you've mentioned what some of your favorites are. You want to give us those again? Sure. Big fan of Pine 64. I think they're doing a lot of stuff right that a lot of companies are failing miserably at when it comes to the Linux sphere. They concentrate on the hardware. They enable the community to make the software. And some of my favorite software hands down for the Pine phone has been UbiPorts or Ubuntu Touch, whatever you want to call it. In general, Plasma Mobile, doesn't matter what stack it's on, the Manjaro. There's too many different implementations of it to name. I know Nate's a big OpenSUSE fan for it. Sailfish OS is another one if you want something that looks more Android-esque in how it's presented and as an Android compatibility layer to it. Nemo is probably my favorite one. Nemo is, I believe, the open source implementation of Sailfish, if I remember correctly. There's uh, LunaOS, which is the WebOS implementation for the Pine phone. Big WebOS fanboy. I just don't know what to tell you. There are Android spins. I don't know how well they work. I know, Wendy, you've tried a few. Those are some of my favorites. The thing I love about Pine64 as a whole is they just enable the community. They're like, here's the hardware. Hack on it. Do whatever you want with it. We don't care. They try to be a resource These are developer devices. Let's be real. These are targeted hardware for people to develop on. Affordable targeted hardware to develop on. Honestly, out of all the people who are making like Linux ARM devices, Pi64 is the one doing it the best and doing the best way for the community. You have other companies who, not really. I don't have much experience with Pine Time or the Pine Tab just because never available. Half the time. Stupid hardware shortages this year. I love everything Pine64 does. They've been a huge boon to the community, I think, as far as development for ARM, for phones, and the various form factors. So I love everything about that Pine64 does. And I love how transparent they are that some other places could learn to be. Yeah, no fooling. I have the Pine phone. I've been enjoying working around with that. When buying it, I realized I was buying a hobby device. They made it very clear that it was a device to hack on and play and do things with. And so because I knew I was buying a toy. It's been a great toy and I, I've enjoyed playing with it. I get the UbiPorts Community Edition. I just updated it today, actually, right before we recorded because, well, somebody said we we're going to be playing with or talking about Pine64 devices. I do have an SD card with the OpenSUSE Tumbleweed Plasma Mobile. As far as like the experience using the Pine device between like being a media player or even doing things like using it for Telegram or whatever, I mean, it works really pretty great. It's fun to play with. It's a good device. It's solid. The fact that you can take out the battery, you have little hardware switches in the back. I feel like they really built it for the technology enthusiast in mind. Will it ever be my main phone? If I can get my banking apps to work on it properly, I think yes, actually. I don't need a lot of performance on the phone. I don't need very much from my phone. If I want to play games, I can use an Android phone. That's not a big deal. But if I want like an actual work device, I don't see why I can't do it. I mean, I think we've talked about this before, but this is really novel. I can actually make phone calls with it and text people and it works. (gasps) It works like a phone? It does. You can use it like a phone. Yes, you can use it like a phone. Maybe not so much like a gaming device, but absolutely like a phone. I've never been one big for mobile gaming. Like I really don't ever play games on my phone at all. I don't even think that there are games installed on my Android device, period. There's email and there's several different kinds of messaging apps. 
There's workout tracking stuff. I have some music-related stuff, audiobook-related stuff. But for the most part, there is no gaming that happens on my phone. If I want to sit down and play a game, I do that from my computer. That's just where I prefer to do things like that. So in playing with the Pine phone, none of that's been an issue, right? I don't need to have games on my phone. I don't need to play anything fast-paced on there. And even if I did play games on my phone, it would be something like Solitaire. Ooh, <laughs> you don't need anything super big to run a game of Solitaire. <laughs> well, what about like uh, Minesweeper? You might want to play some Minesweeper. Oh, yeah. That one's a fun one to play too, whether <laughs> you do it on a phone or from a computer. And once I learned the rules of that game, because for so long as a kid, you're just like, you click boxes and see until you die. No, there's a method to that madness and those numbers mean something, which makes it a lot more fun to play and you're more likely to win once you know actually how to play. But Minesweeper is a good one. Other than that, there's nothing that resource-wise is too heavy, though having multiple things open can build up stuff that's running in the background on RAM. It took so long for Android devices, and I'm not sure for Apple because I really don't use Apple much. We do have one Apple tablet, but I hardly ever touch it. It took a long time for Android to be able to do the dark theme all around. That's something that in the last few iterations they have. And it was so nice to fire up Plasma Mobile to be able to set a dark theme, to be able to set darker icons so everything is really easy on the eyes. And I have to say that as far as Tinker devices, go. And Matt, you're 100% right. These are made of, hey, this is the kind of hardware package that we can put together in this price range, which makes it feasible for people in the community to buy. It's up to you guys to figure out software on it for the most part. And Plasma Mobile is fantastic for that. Just running an update from the terminal on my phone was heartwarming. I can't believe just how giddy I got running pseudo Pac-Man tech SYU. And watching the terminal run on my phone. It's beautiful. I don't know. I use the GUI, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. You can use the GUI, but I can update my computer the same way I update the phone. And it's just really neat to be able to use that is fun. those same mm -hmm. processes, those same commands to work between the two of them. Updating and changing software on PinePhone, I really like the way they've done that, though I haven't got to play with the Pine tab quite as much. I don't seem to have a USB data cable that'll work with it in order to transfer files back and forth. I can get jump drive to boot from Pine tab, but I can't get any other ROMs to boot from the Pine tab. And because I don't have a USB cable that it'll read or that will communicate from the computer to the Pine tab, though I can get jump drive to boot, I can't get any new ROMs installed of it. It does have, I think, think an ubi ports on it right now but it's an older version of it the pine phone has been amazing to update i need to get another cable so i can play with the pine tab in its fullest the pine time showed up and i was so excited there is a video coming on that one i did an unboxing and then my watch came with version 1.2 on it and I was messing with some different applications. I was having a hard time with the phone at the time because I needed to pair it to the phone. One of the ROMs that I had on there wouldn't stay connected to the internet, so I needed to switch. I was using some more of the nightlies for Manjaro Plasma and I was having issues with them 
actually being able to log in and do the finished setup. I spent a lot of time jumping back and forth trying to get one to work. Well, I got a solid version of Manjaro back on the phone. And in that time, things went crazy and I haven't been able to connect the two, but I was using the computer messing with some of the applications on there because that's one of the wonderful things about having devices that are also running Linux while you run Linux is I can install an application on my computer and it can find my watch and do an update. Amazefish is the first one that I installed and I was having a really hard time just being able to use that one. But part of that was I'm using a QT system themed dark and I'm pretty sure that that's a GTK application because it was not playing well with theming before you can even get to the updates or anything like that. It wanted you to set up a user profile, which would help with your watch. It's some of those basic settings for exercise and that kind of thing. And you needed to enter your birthday. With this and the dark theme that I had set, it had the text on the top of the calendar in white. And then the calendar was also white. So trying to see, looking at the right direction to try and see what that date was. And then it started you at like 1900. It wasn't born in 1900. You can't click on the date and actually put in a different year to help you jump to that year. You have to click all the way through until you get to your proper birth year and month. And I gave up on that one because I just couldn't see what I was trying to do. I ended up installing, I believe it's called Siglo, S-I-G-L-O. And that one worked so well. It did the update so quickly, I didn't even get it recorded. It was just so smooth in first its ability to find my watch and then you being able to choose the update that you're sending to the watch. So it told me, this is my watch. This is the version of InfiTime, Infinity Time. I'm not exactly sure how to say the name of the stock ROM that comes on the watch. So it's telling me what versions it has. It has a list of versions inside Siglo that you can even downgrade if you wanted to. If you wanted to go all the way back to the first versions of it, it's there for you. Go for it. I actually wanted to upgrade, not downgrade. And it just works so smoothly and so quickly in the communication between the two that I'm like, oh crap, I'm updating. I didn't record that. So that is an awesome application to use. If you have a Pine Time, I highly recommend checking that one out for updates. And the best part about that is that same system will allow you to change the ROMs on the watch because I wasn't exactly sure how they were going to do that process. When I've had a Google Watch in the past, and I have done some ROMing on Google Wear style watches, they're a little more locked down now, and my current watch isn't a Google Wear watch, but you had to have the device on the charger and the charger plugged into your computer. So it's doing that communication process over the charger, which always kind of worried me a bit, where you have this magnet and these little contacts holding onto your watch and it's doing the communication of installing the ROM over that. And if it gets bumped, you're losing that connection. And if you do that mid ROM upgrade, that's pretty dang stressful. So I'd kick the kids almost completely out of the house because I didn't even want them walking in the room. (laughs) (laughs) That's understandable. When something like that was going on. But this was all over Bluetooth that it updated over Bluetooth, sent the files super smooth, super clean, not having to worry about that connection getting jarred there, though. I mean, Bluetooth can have its own issues with connection for sure. I mean, that's pretty amazing that you can do that over Bluetooth. I've never done anything like that. That's pretty darn cool. 
at least not updates, not firmware updates, whatever. Yeah, the file sizes are pretty small, so I'm sure that that helps with that. I know the Galaxy Watch 3 is what I'm currently using at the moment, and I do really like this watch. It's super lightweight. My phone will download the updates and it'll Bluetooth them to my watch. I can connect this watch to Wi-Fi, though I hardly ever do. The watch that I'm currently using, I could put a SIM card in it and it would have... LTE and voice data on top of that, though I don't have one in there. I don't necessarily need all of those features, but I do like that update process. And I really like the fact that as new versions of the software come along for this watch, because look at how many have blossomed for the Pine Books, for the Pine Tab, for the Pine Phone. I guarantee there's going to be some different versions for the Pine Time as well. And having it be able to be so easy and so smooth to send these updates, I'm not entirely sure how that will work for a full-fledged ROM change on a watch. I'm curious. I'm really curious to see how that works and if Siglo will use the exact same process to do that. So far, I'm loving the way they've set this up. I haven't had a smartwatch. The last one I think was a VivoFit Pro or something like that by Garmin. And it was fine. It was okay. I, somehow I lost it. And I'm not sure how it fell off my arm and I'm not sure where it fell off my arm, but Oops. I haven't seen it since. It's been a couple of years now. So I just haven't had a watch. I'm really tempted to buy the Pine Time just because, well, you know, it's an open source device. My issue with smartwatches, I just don't trust them, if that makes any sense. I have a just hesitation with them. Yeah. I often, I don't walk around with my phone just because I just don't because I don't trust it. I'd really be interested in the Pine Time now because if I have control over it and I can use the things that I want to use with it, maybe get even more interesting bits of data out of it as opposed to, you know, whatever Garmin or Fitbit let you see of the data they're collecting. Yeah, absolutely. And having that workout data, I really like. That's part of the reason why I've used a smartwatch not only because I want notifications coming to my wrist and I don't want my phone digging all the time. It drives me nuts when notifications are constantly going off on any kind of device. It drives me crazy. So that was one of the reasons that started me off. But I do like to have that heart rate data information and the length of time in which I've done my workout. I value that information. And this pine time has some of those same capabilities. I need to finish getting it set up with my Pine phone so that I can actually wear it while I'm doing a workout and compare and contrast what those heart rates look like between both of the watches. I'm kind of curious to see if it'll work at all on my right wrist. So I'm right-handed. I wear my watch normally on my left wrist. And during my workout here uh, last week, I flared up an old injury on my elbow. Ooh. And so I had my elbow taped with some KT tape. And the way I'd pulled the tape down, it came all the way across the top of my wrist. And so I couldn't wear my watch normally on that wrist and actually have a heart rate reading. So I tried to put it on my right arm. And I don't know whether it's this watch or something wrong with my right arm, but it wasn't picking up my heart rate at all. Like it would not stay steady. And so I had to put my watch back on my left wrist and turn it inside. So the watch face is on the inside of my wrist, on the outside of my wrist, which I have to say feels really, really weird. So I don't know if I'm going to have to just have 
both watches on the same wrist so it'll read properly? Or what was going on? Just maybe it was something odd that day that it wouldn't read my heart rate on my right arm. But that is one really weird complication that I'm going to be dealing with in testing out how these two watches compare. The thing I've loved about what these guys have done, though, is something else we probably should mention is the Pinebook Pro, something that doesn't get a lot of mention anymore just because of CPU limitations. And it's impossible to get one right now just because of, as Nate was saying, the shortages that have happened over this last year and a half. I think the Pinebook Pro was really the onus and the driving factor for better arm support from Linux distributions and stuff on top of obviously things like the Raspberry Pi. Having a finalized product as opposed to just a board like you would with a Raspberry Pi is a big driving factor to really be like, oh, okay, these are a real thing. Like, you know, we've heard a lot about ARM ARM computers and ARM laptops for years. You know, various companies have tried it over the course of time. HP tried it with, I think, a Snapdragon processor a few years ago. It's like putting a bigger screen on a phone and adding a keyboard for a lot of people. With Linux being able to specifically be designed around that has definitely helped. And I think it was a big contributing thing to really putting Pine 64 on the forefront of ARM development and like ARM hardware targeting Linux specifically, like a finalized product. And the thing that I really love about what Pine64 does, though, is that they don't just make it the hardware accessible to the community as a whole, be it from the thin price margins and stuff that they have. They also contribute back financially from their own portions to projects that they've supported. UbiPort's edition of the Pine Phone, a certain portion of the purchases go to UbiPort's foundation the plasma versions and like all that stuff helps the community grow because that brings in money, which these projects can then use to pay developers, which is a great thing. And that's something I don't think it's enough credit for. These guys don't just talk about, oh, here's some hardware and community and that kind of stuff. They're an integral part to being everything you want from a, a company to have a open and transparent ecosystem around and developer relationships and even customer relationships. I mean, like the three of us, we're not developers. These products are early adopter products at best. When the early adopters can see in line with a company, the developers can also see is very key because that means you're messaging is concise. It's to the point and it's to the core of what you want out of your audience. And that is something that a lot of companies, especially as it relates to specifically in the Linux sphere, could do a lot better. And that's why people are like, oh, all we ever hear is about positive things about Pine64. Well, they don't do a whole lot wrong. <laughs> that's the thing. Exactly. Right. They're transparent. They support the communities directly, make affordable hardware. That is literally everything. Anytime I've been in a Linux community, we want affordable phones. We want affordable laptops. We want affordable this, affordable that. They're targeting that. They're upfront with their messaging about being what the devices are. Install what you want, but you also expect the experience of that. (laughs) And that is definitely, I think, the best part about hardware like this is they're not putting the message out saying that this is the flagship phone killer. No, they are putting out the message of if you want freedom with your hardware and your software, this is how you get that at a price that is affordable for most average users. Sometimes freedom isn't always the easy solution. Sometimes it's the hard solution to do the things that are right, that are not as mainstream. And I think there's something uh, almost exciting about it. A little bit like pioneering 
it's a wonderful experience, really, if you dig down into it and really go into it understanding that it's not going to be all peaches and cream. There's probably going to be some rough patches. But your final product, your end result is likely going to be better, I would say, because you have the control. It's on you now. The last thing I'll say about Pine64 is they let you own the device. The device doesn't own you. Yes, and that is huge. You don't have this gigantic EULA basically saying you're renting the hardware or renting the software from whomever. You possess it and you own it. And it's the most ethical way, I believe, of possessing a piece of hardware or software. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the passive manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. Let's make a complete 360 and go from talking about hardware and software that's open to games. What do you got for us, Matt? This particular game is Vanquish. It is a game by Sega. It is, I believe, gold rated on Proton. I've played it all on Linux. It is literally download, click install, click play. It runs. That's it. This game is all about a lot of shooting and everything else. I want to make it clear that this is an M-rated title, given that there is language in the game and you are shooting people. Pretty self-explanatory. The gameplay mechanics, though, is what I love about this game because you're basically in power armor with booster packs. <laughs> so you fly around, sliding around in like bullet time, sort of like slow motion effects to get across the game. It's just a really fun, it's a bat-crazy game as far as what it is. It's not a long game. It's like maybe seven hours actually actually beat from beginning to end short game but the gameplay makes this totally fun i love this game to no end one of those games that doesn't get a lot of credit for what it does you go in expecting just kind of a fast-paced shooter but then you actually play the game and it's like oh oh this is more like ground-based space combat game which as far as like the feel of it because of the slow motion effect and the speed aspect that they throw at you. So it's a really, really cool game. I definitely enjoy it. It looks like it's not that resource heavy either, which surprised me when I was looking at system requirements because the graphics look great. But graphics card wise, DX11 compliant with two gigs of RAM. That's all it says is the for the recommended graphics mm -hmm. card. How is it played for you? graphics wise i was playing this on my equivocal of a gtx 765 and i had maxed out everything and that was at 1080p and i was getting a solid 60 frames and that's only because of the refresh rate of the monitor right graphically i love that kind of space aesthetic that it has 
as most people that know anime, that has a mecha feel to it because it's a Sega game. They make yes. some very interesting design choices and stuff. And if you are a fan of anime in any way, shape, or form or mecha anime, this is definitely something that should definitely be up your alley. It's almost kind of a grunge look to it, but that could be the war and the battles and stuff because things are dirty and flying. Mm-hmm all over the place. It has that uh, Michael Bay Transformers fight feel to it. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing for some people, but Big I think it looks cool. explosions and booms. Yeah. And then like just the close-up shots, the running, the gratuitous explosions and whatnot, the slow motion explosion bits and so forth. Total cheesy action game, not gonna lie. <laughs> if you're liking story-wise. I had to put in my birthday just to view this. I know what I did wrong there. It looks like it's a fun game for pretty much anybody to play. It's mostly language. You're military guys and military military lingo as far as how that goes in the game but a military special ops guy so typical tropey kind of deal with that but 20 bucks you usually can find it on sale with that and bayonetta the pc port of bayonetta as like a combo pack for pretty cheap Lowest i've seen those it was like 7.99 so do know again this game is rated m if you find that combo pack bayonetta is definitely a rated m game <laughs> go check it out have some fun i would definitely call it a mindless action game as far as just like there's really no rhyme or reason to the gameplay like just go around and shoot things and enjoy the insanity that ensues from it. The question I would have is, would this be a good game to play on my AMD system that I just built? If you want to test out that Vega graphics. I'm real interested. It doesn't look like it's going to require that much, but yeah, I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I think I need to have a separate hard drive just for the games, just because. <laughs> but while I'm making game recommendations, Wendy, what do you got going on? I am just gearing up and getting ready for the live show that we are having. If you're hearing this on the day that it's released, it's also the same day that we are doing this next upcoming live show. Yes, because we have moved the release date from Tuesday to Wednesday, you will not only be getting a new show, you will be getting a live show right on top of that. That'll start at 11 a.m. Eastern on August 18th, 3 p.m. UTC. Don't forget about the massive mega fest that is going on on August 22nd. There's going to be a whole bunch of fun stuff going on between conversations between co-hosts, conversations with the community, and some gaming. August 22nd, 3 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. UTC. And there's one more thing going on this month. Yes, August is absolutely packed full of community fun stuff. We still have the pseudo hangout on August 26th at 12.30 p.m. Eastern and 5.30 UTC. I love the way that the guys changed those hangouts around to try and hit all kinds of different time zones and make sure that their listeners, regardless of where they are, can join in at least once in a while. I've actually personally really enjoyed those hangouts. I wasn't able to make the last one due to other commitments. One previous that I had a lot of fun, I got some really good notes as far as things to check out for like Docker and whatnot. It was just a really good time. It's really fun because like there's some super experts that are in the studio show. This is like the show for if you are aspiring to be really good at sysadmin type things. I listen, a lot of stuff is over my head, but I feel like maybe if I listen long enough, I might be like 10% of where they are. I'm really excited. And also like Eric and Brandon, they're super, just great guys. And they'll just give you all kinds of good information. It's an educational experience that you'll laugh and have fun. 
You can't help but learn just by hanging out. I highly recommend it. You've been in the house now for a couple of weeks, Nate. Things are starting to settle down. What do you have going on? Well, things are settled aside from some other like natural disaster issues that just happened on Monday. Not for me, but for family. Things kind of got pushed again a little to the left on the calendar. But I'm building out my new studio in the cubicle labs for my Linux and vintage and fitnessy things that I will be doing. Today, when I was in there this morning, I was going to actually record from there, but the temperature said 86 degrees and I didn't want to sweat on my computer as I was talking to you guys. I have to get a mini split, like an air conditioning unit, those real, real quiet ones. And boy, oh boy, was that another rabbit hole of information to go down. Like how much do I really need to cool? Like how many square feet and so forth. I did some comparisons on the total other side of the building, which is air conditioned, how much BT that is for the space and so forth. I have ordered a mini split. So there goes another $850 with delivery. <laughs> it is a DIY install. So I'm excited and I may even video the process of doing it just for fun because yes, a nerd can actually do other things besides poorly build their own computer. It's a heat pump in there too. Although I do have gas heat in it, which is not very helpful this time of year. In the wintertime, I can probably switch between gas and also the heat pump that's on there as well. The gas will be cheaper, natural gas. I'm going to hopefully get that next Friday. I should be able to have it. It's supposed to show up by next Friday at the latest. So hopefully Home Depot will deliver it sooner and then I can install it and then not sweat while I'm putting together my studio. But the last couple of days have been on the warmer side and real high humidity because of weather patterns and so forth. I got my desk set up that was in my super cubicle, but because I have more space there, everything's not crammed together. I was able to space one of the stand-up desks with my corner vintage desk 17 and a half inches apart. That's an important number because it's just wide enough for me to use another one of my refrigerator shelves that I use for it. So I now have a larger platform for one of my other computers that I use regularly, which also made more space so I can have third monitor which I specifically got an ultra wide for that computer so I wouldn't have a third monitor, but now that there's space, I thought, oh, I'll put a third monitor back in. Monitors and number of monitors seems to be an addiction that's hard to get away with because yes. once you start adding multi-monitors, it's just like, but if I had a little bit more space, I could do just this much more would be that much easier because I could see this and this and that at the same time. Right. So uh, instead of just like splitting it between the two, like which I had been using the split screen, the quick tiling in Plasma for splitting the screen. Now I can split screen and throw on another monitor. So it's kind of like having three monitors instead of two because of the ultra wide. I really like it. Yes. Um, I enjoy it. So I do have internet out there, although I have to reposition the Wi-Fi bridge because it's not in the right spot, which means I have to put in either another bridge or run about, oh, I don't know, 50 feet of Cat5 cable across the building. Uh, I'm not sure which way I'm going to go with that. So I have to figure that one out. I may end up putting a switch inside the main room and I don't have to run as long of a run. Also, I have to drill through whatever the thick metal sheathing is on the building. I don't know, whatever corrugated metal it is they use for such things. I have to drill through that and I'm not really looking forward to drilling through metal again because I don't know what's behind it. So yeah. all these different little fun bits of excitement. I'm making progress, not as quickly as I'd like, making progress nonetheless. We'd like to continue the discussion with you on Telegram and Discourse, Mumble, or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels, all of our shows, and creators at Destination Linux. Network. For more info on me, you can go to cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings podcast and YouTube channel can be found there. And you can find all my random ramblings on Twitter at MattDLN. You can find me on Mastodon at WendyDLN at Mastodon.online. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome DLN extent swag along with stuff from across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone.
Do you lost? <laughs> no, I'm trying to think of how to. I, I don't really have any. He did. He got lost in the maze of life. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> he got lost in the maze of all of our all over the place. Yeah, brain function. Truth. Wow, ain't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it happens. But speaking of, I don't even know how to sync lock or change it. I don't I even know how to. Yeah, I have no idea how to. Sw- <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for uh, interesting trying to make interesting segues, Wendy. Did I die? No, we hear okay. you. That was all I had. Sweet. I just had to find my show notes again. I really love this new computer. Like, I, I'm just like caressing it. It's really kind of awful how much I like it. Matt, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's not going to admit that on air, though. <laughs> but we're still recording. <gasps> oh, oh, you can put that in the. Uh, you can put that in the. Oh, uh, something else. Uh, uh, God, I love captured. it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't think you understand how much I love it. 